today on the Rita Made Me Do It show. And I don't want to say I wanted to die. It was that I was okay. That if that was the the thing that was going to happen, I was okay. I was so sick and so miserable that the thought of life continuing that way sounded so much worse than, than going home to Jesus. It just was, it was a miserable place to be. And then I asked the nurse, she came in one time and she said, I said, am I going to get out of here? And she said, I was expecting her to go, yeah, of course you are. You know, you'll be good in a couple of days. She goes, I really don't know. And it, when she said that to me, it made me so mad that I flipped so hard and so fast. I was out of the hospital in 24 hours. Because of Rita, I got on the news. Because of Rita, I had 15 speaking engagements last year. Because of Rita, I've become a six-figure business owner. Because, because of Rita, because of Rita I'm I've doubled my revenue by doubling my clients. I'm Rita, business strategist, speaker, and success coach. Also known as the gal who went on 35 dates in 35 days and blogged all about it. And this is the Rita Mimi Do It Show where every week I bring you the real information about what it takes to go all in on your dreams so that you can build a profitable business and live a positive life. Some weeks I'll have a guest and others it'll be just you and me, like we're out on my deck sharing a bottle of wine. The conversation, yeah, it'll be that real. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be with you this week. First of all, I am recording from somewhere else. I'm in Hiawassee, Georgia. I am on vacation. I am at a beautiful lake house. In fact, I'm looking at the most incredible view right now. But I tell you this because there are always unintended lessons whenever you try to do something in a different way than you've normally done it. So I knew that I was going to be recording not only this intro for you, but a brand new podcast episode as well. And so I went this morning, got up early, went to go set everything up. And wouldn't you know it, even though I packed every single freaking cord that I own in my house, I didn't bring the right cord for my podcasting stuff. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to have to use a regular phone app and the quality is just going to have to be what it is. And then my phone broke. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? I was really worried that I wasn't going to be able to record this from my phone. Luckily, I am. So I tell you this to say, look, Done is always better than perfect, right? I just wanted to get this out to you. There's so many reasons I want to bring to you the episode that I'm bringing to you today, and I just didn't want anything to stop me. So I have always wanted to do an episode that is like a here's where they are now with a past guest, right? Like I had Jane Smith on, and now five years later, Jane Smith is blah, 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 and here's an update, right? This episode that you're going to listen to is not new. It is a replay of episode seven. But the guest who you're going to meet, Don Barton, she's incredible. The interview is incredible. The lessons that you're going to learn are incredible. But more importantly, they're applicable now, I believe, more than they were then. So there are a couple of reasons why this is happening right now. First of all, Don Barton was one of my earliest podcast guests, right, episode seven. So while her episode was heard by many, it was not heard, I believe, by enough people. But I also have very many new listeners. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening. Uh, I have new listeners since the time that her episode aired. And I know that not everybody goes back through all the back catalog and listens to all of the old episodes. So I am reintroducing you if you heard her before. And I'm introducing you for the first time if you haven't heard Dawn. But why? Well, at the time, that she was interviewed, she was in the final stages of finishing her book, which was going to 
publish, right? So she was, she had written a book. She was working with her editor. It's a subdivision of HarperCollins. And it was just, everything was getting ready to go to print. And it had not yet been published. But now I'm really excited to say it has. Um, she is a published author. Her book is on the shelves in all of the bookstores. You can find it. I found it in Barnes & Noble. It's just, it's incredibly exciting to see. So I wanted a chance to reintroduce her, her book, now that you can actually go out and get it, right? Because back then, it, I mean, that was a long time ago. That was almost a year ago. So the book was not able to be found or be had, but now you can go get it and you can read it. But the book itself is more important, I believe, than ever before, and the lessons in this episode as well. Because right now, we're in the middle of a lot, you guys. Let's just not pretend, right? We have been under stay-at-home orders with COVID-19, which are now lifting. I mean, obviously, I'm here in Hiawassee, Georgia. So things are starting to change on that front. But still, there is a lot of uncertainty. There is a lot of emotional toll that has been taken on very many people. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of hesitancy. There's a lot of optimism. There's just a lot, right? But then on top of it, we are also in the middle of the Black Lives Matter movement. There have been some really just tragic and unnecessary deaths of so many people, but it has brought to light something that I believe is really important. And that is, we're just in the middle of this upheaval. And there's a phrase that even flowers grow through dirt, right? So you have to grow through dirt to get to the good. And right now, that's what I think the world is doing, right? Growing through, through the dirt to get to the good. But it feels overwhelming for so many people. And I think it can feel very difficult to find joy or to feel like you can find joy or to feel like it's okay to find joy during times like this, right? I mean, I know that I had all kinds of feelings about going on what what basically is a vacation right right now while everything is happening. But one thing Don did say in the episode that you're going to hear today is it's so important to nourish your soul. And you just can't sacrifice things that nourish your soul. And I know that getting away and disconnecting and spending time with my husband and you know, kind of reconnecting with myself, all of that's super important for me to be able to do everything that I want to do. And I know that the same is true for you. But right now, what I'm noticing is it's very difficult for people to find that time. It's very difficult for people to do things to nourish their soul, to fill their cup in a way that is not creating unnecessary, what I believe is unnecessary guilt in their lives. But even more importantly, it's just finding that joy. It can feel very difficult to find joy when life just is overwhelming. And so this episode and re-airing it will help you, I believe, do just that. Because Dawn found unstoppable joy in so many different circumstances, right? She was growing through dirt. She was growing through a terminal cancer diagnosis. She then right shortly thereafter lost her sister to cancer, all while her mom was recovering from a brain aneurysm that had occurred. And then Dawn shares too, kind of right before that time and around that time, her marriage was suffering and struggling and and. Then on top of it, she was one of the top producers at the time for Mary Kay. She was number seven in the country, right? She was kicking butt in sales. She had all of this stuff going on. But then she felt called, right, after she had gotten through all of this to write a book. So she left a career when she was at her prime and at the top and just a lot of pivoting and a lot of upheaval and a lot that she was going through. But yet through it all, 
Dawn was able to find joy. And I mean, I share that. That's only a snippet of her story, guys. When you read her book, you will just be floored, but you will also be inspired and motivated and you will feel clear and you will have a direction on what you can do to both live life, experience life, have all of your feelings, and still find this unstoppable joy so that it underlines everything that you do. So it's quite incredible. And I think that those lessons, that idea is important right now more than ever before. So this episode is a re-airing of episode seven. I think after you listen to it, you should hop on over to episode eight, where I pull out my favorite lessons, my personal favorite lessons from this episode. But you will learn, I think, what you need to know right now to focus on being that best version of yourself finding joy no matter what is swirling around you, but then how to take that, how to apply that for maximum impact in your family, in your life, in your business, wherever you want to put that. And then hopefully you're going to want to run out and you're going to want to buy her book, which is called Laughing Through the Ugly Cry and Finding Unstoppable Joy. I know you're going to love it. In fact, at the end of the episode, so I'm going to let you listen to the interview. And then at the end, I'm going to share with you an update from Dawn. I asked Dawn, hey, okay, so now the book is out. It's on the shelves, right? Your dream has come to reality. It's tangible. So I want an update. I want to know what has happened for you. Is the reality of what's happened because of this book, did that meet your expectation? Like what has come to fruition for you since writing this book? And what lessons do you want to share now that you're on the other end of things? So listen to the interview, meet Don. You are going to love her as much as I do. Listen to her update, run out to wherever and buy her book. And then let me know your thoughts and your favorite takeaway from this lesson, because I really would love to know. It was so full of so much. I would love to know what your favorite takeaway is. And I will talk to you next week on another episode of the Read and Make Me Do It show. So hi, Don. How are you? Hello. I, you know, I kind of forget about how we met and stuff. Yeah. Um, so much came from that uh, Making Things Happen conference and just, yeah, our relationship was in that beginning. And yeah, because that was the Making Things Happen in 20, 2018 because we just yep. went to one. Uh-huh. Yeah, in 2019. That was yeah. first one. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was fun. So um, I... I just kind of want to jump in and start with you right now. And then we're going to reverse engineer like everything I want to tell people about you. But you just bought a farm, basically like a horse farm, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you love farming? Well, we're not really farming. So I look, we didn't know what to call this property. And um, because so I I really, I, I looked up what is a farm and apparently you have like cows and chickens and we don't have any of that. So then I looked up, a ranch and on a ranch you have cattle. Well, we don't have that, but what we do have is a main house, a guest house, a pond and stables and horses and a swimming pool. So that is defined as my dream come true. Right. Like, basically dynasty is, is what is. Is. you know, I think if anyone were to look at it, they would go, oh my gosh, they're like, that's ridiculous. It took everything we had. I feel like we were like a, a, it was my parents, myself and my, my mother-in-law. I felt like we were a group of people sitting at a table counting change to see like, okay, do we have enough? It was like, it just took everything we had to make this dream come true. And it I think I've got some pennies upstairs. Yeah. Like, let me dump it out. It down to, you know, that kind of thing. And well, uh, it's, it's beautiful. And you guys also just bought a, ho- a horse. So you actually have a horse on the horse farm. Do you have other horses on the horse farm that you didn't buy? Did you inherit horses? Yeah, well, there, the first horse that was here was my daughter's 
trainer's horse. And I said, if you'll still train her, I'll let you keep the horse here for free. And so we traded that out and then we just got our own horse. And given the amount of poop that they produce, I don't know that we'll be getting many more. (laughs) I'm like, nobody talks about this, but there is a lot of horse poop. There's just a lot. I don't know how I see what they eat. I don't know how much that, how that much comes out. It's the same. Yeah. No, I mean, it was when I saw that you bought a horse, I was like, okay, like she's in it. Like she, she is now in, like you bought this and you're in. And it does seem like the the perfect, I mean, it's beautiful. And it seems like the perfect place for an author, right? Because you, you are now, you're about to be a published author. So it seems like the the plate, it just seems like what authors do. You like move to some big, like remote kind of parcel of land where you can sit under a blanket and drink your tea and just like get inspired and, and write about, I mean, that's what authors do, right? That's what I, I picture that's them. what I picture them doing too. Yeah. And it didn't go down like that at all. <laughs> so it's um, not, I, not I, happening I, at all, huh? <laughs> no, and matter of fact, I was sitting here thinking if, you know, for writing the next book, I feel like I'm gonna have to go rent like a hotel room for a few days because (laughs) I need complete, total and utter silence complete for my brain to engage into that roller. I don't do it as a, um, I think some people think of um, writing is is, honestly, it's hard for me. So I think some people do it as a therapeutic thing. It isn't, it is, it's work for me. Maybe you need to build like a she shed, a she shed on the land, like an author's castle or something on the land and have your- How sad is that, huh? That I all this and I can't find a place to write. (laughs) So can't find quiet. Um, So your book, right? It's called Laughing Through the Ugly. Is that the title of it now? Laughing Through the Ugly Cry and Finding Unstoppable Joy is the subtitle. And I have to figure out as an author, how do I introduce that? Do I just say laughing through the ugly cry or do you add the subtitle? I don't know. But that was not the original title for the book. They changed that. Your editors changed the title on you, right? They did. The publisher changed it. And I really, I love laughing through the ugly cry, but the original, it was presented as unstoppable joy was the original name of the book, but now it's laughing through the other. Which it I feels love. more like you. It actually I feels more like yeah, you. I, I love know. it. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've loved watching your book journey on Instagram and Insta stories and all of this, because you really do, you share the real deal info about what it's like yeah. for you to go through this process of writing. But now there were, there are all kinds of ways that people can write a book, but you went with a traditional publishing deal. And that means relinquishing a lot of control, which many people, high-performing and high, you know, like entrepreneurs and hate, right? They love to be in control of everything, the outcomes and the steps and all of it. And you, I've watched you. Don't, don't say it like it's bad. No, no, it's not right. Like, I mean, I love it. They don't though. It terrifies them. Right. But I've been watching you like go through this. And so what has the process been like for you knowing you had this book and this title and it was your baby and then you turn it over. And I mean, the edits and the title changes and the talk a little bit about how that's actually been for you to go through that process. Um, honestly, I I have a lot more control than maybe you think. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, and it, and it's, I think it's because um, my publisher is Thomas Nelson, HarperCollins, and they're brilliant and their editors are brilliant. And, um, but it, it took a second for me to adjust to a collaborative approach versus a Dawn 
approach, you know, and that came from the steps of editing, you know, in the beginning, thinking that I'm like, no, 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 this was a God calling. My words are going to be perfection. Nothing needs to be edited, I assure you. And then to go through the editing process, you know, the first time you're like, I hate her. I want to slash her tires. How dare she edit me? You know, she's wrong. She's an idiot. And then you kind of, you, you grow and you're like, oh, okay, that is, that does sound better. Oh, okay. yeah. Maybe she's yeah. good at what she does. Yeah, maybe Fine. So. Yeah. I, I can tell you that from where we are today, I, like, I am madly in love with the book. Good. The book comes yeah. out in April, April 2020. Yeah. And um, it was originally coming out in February. So I fin- I started writing the book February of 18, finished the book in June put together a book proposal because I did want to go the route of a publisher because the difference is the distribution, the ability to distribute, you know, you can get it in all the stores. Um, And I sent it to, I actually sent it to Laura Casey, dear friend. And I said, is this wrong? Is this right? Um, This book proposal, because I, I don't know what I'm doing. And she said, can I share it with my agent? And a few hours later, the agent had called from New York and I was signed. And it, it was, it, that is a freak fluke story that, does not happen very often, but I am honest about how it happened. Yeah. 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 No. And it's really, we're going to talk all about your, your career and your trajectory, because I yeah. think it's funny. You have a lot of moments like that where, well, that normally doesn't just happen, but yeah. it did just happen to me like that. Right. There seemed to be a lot of moments like that. Um, and you went, so you went just like we were talking about the horses, you went all in on that, but you went all in on, on this book, we're going to talk about you, you quit something, a business of your own to be, to you exited out of that, to be able to really just go in, focus on this. Right. And when you moved one thing, I want to say, when you moved to your farm, like you were saying, I mean, you, you went all in on that in terms of moving your family up and move, but not, not like staged and like, uh, like, Oh, well, we'll get there first. We'll move there. Then we'll go down with my parents. It was like, no, we're all doing this all at the same time. Selling my house, selling everybody else's house. We're all buying this house and we're all moving in. And this is going to be a thing. Have you, have you always been somebody who just kind of got an idea and then threw herself into it and went a hundred percent, like foot gas pedal all the way down and did it or no, take me back to like, to like child dawn, right? Were you, were you always like that? Well, what was a little unique about my life is that um, I was born in Louisiana and then I was two years old, we moved overseas. Um, my dad was in the oil business. So we, the longest I ever lived in one country was three years, but I grew up all over the world. So at age seven, which is that, what's that second grade? I was living in Singapore. And I remember um, walking barefoot to ballet classes because it was down the street and riding my bike. And um, I had a happy, healthy childhood. Um, I just happened to travel all over the world. So my, I wasn't raised with things like prejudice and I wasn't, yeah, I, I mean, some of those, I also wasn't raised with the Brady Bunch though. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. No, I, I was, it was, I found that so fascinating because one thing I asked everybody in my community, uh, the all-in entrepreneur was to, to sit and think and say, what have I lost of that person that I want to bring back into my business and into my life to run it? And so I just, I found that, I, I just wondered if that was always your mentality. Like, I'm in it. I don't know. I had an idea. I'm just going to see it all the way through and I don't second guess myself. And you just, you seem like that person now, right? So I didn't know if that was you back yeah, then. Yeah, I have always kind of been that way. And and several times, you know, falling straight on my face and yeah, in complete failure as is life. But um I will say that 
I am probably the happiest I've ever been now at the ripe old age of 49. So wow. yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, we're going to, we're going to get to that. So you embark. So after school, you embarked on a sit, basically you got into sales and you were in sales for 18, again, all in on sales for 18 years, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to do sales and that's what I'm going to do. And I did it for 18 years. Did what, was it like, I'm going to grow up to be, I don't think anybody thinks this, I'm going to grow up to be a salesperson. Maybe, but how did you no. get into that field? How did you get yeah, into that? Yeah, that's actually a really good question because I went to school to go to law school. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, I got divorced and I had, and I was a single mom and I needed to do something. And I noticed that um, it was actually a job with a radio station. I was selling, you know, advertising for a radio station and I did well. And I noticed that because I was a top producer, they were very flexible with my schedule. So as long as I was their top producer, they really didn't care about my comings and goings. And I'm very much a freedom and choice person. But more than that, as a single mom, I wanted to, uh, to take Mackenzie to school and pick her up. And so I just knew that if I was a top producer in the world of sales, then I would have the flexibility to be the kind of mom I wanted to be. That's good. Yeah. That's good. And so you, you, you did it. Eventually you ended up with Mary Kay. So you went, were you working full-time and doing Mary Kay on the side? Was it, you were no law. I'm, I, that's a piece of, I know how you got into Mary Kay and we're going to talk about that, but was that the only thing that you were doing when you got into it? Or did it start as, I guess what, what the kids these days are calling a side hustle? Yeah. Um, I had not ever tried the product when I got in before. I actually had signed the agreement before I tried their products. Yeah. 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 Were you, but were you working a different job? Were you working a full-time job anywhere else or was that it? Just the marriage? No, day? at that point, um, I was remarried and living in Florida and we had an 18-month-old and I thought, if I don't use my brain, I'm going to go crazy. I was stir crazy. I, I had the ideal situation. I think we're all um, hoping and praying for it to be able to stay with our children and to have those choices. And I I just, I, I really enjoy working. I like the flexibility to be the kind of mom I want to be. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And so you, you hopped into Mary Kay and that skyrocketed and you ended up being one of the top producers. Was it number two, the number two producer in Mary Kay? I don't, I don't, I don't know how Mary Kay works. I saw a video of you online. It said the number two next to it. So maybe she was the number two producer in all of Mary Kay. I was the number seven sales director in the nation and number two in our division. So, um, but but nationally number seven that year. And I left when I was number seven. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Okay, cool. And then your team produced like over a million dollars in you. It took it from what, like 300,000 to over a million. The team was the highest producing team in the fastest amount of time. What was unique about the situation is that we went from producing $380,000 in sales the year before and skyrocketed to over a million that next year. And that's what made it such a unique thing. Well, doing over a million has rarely been done in the company. But then um, to make that kind of jump, that's the part that was just such a unheard of part. So here's what I'm curious about, because when you got into, like you said, you hadn't used the product and the reason was your your daughter was selling Mary Kay. Yes. Yeah. So at that time I had an 18 month old, but I also had an 18 year old. So, um, and I do like to always add, that just means I've been highly desirable for a very long time. Okay. Yep. I will, I will co-sign on that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Mackenzie, my, um, 18 year old had gotten into it and, um, Actually, she hadn't even signed the agreement yet. It was a friend of mine asking her, and I 
was like, you can get in it, but I'm not trying it. I'm not using it. No way. It's for old ladies. Never going to happen. Uh-uh. And she, my friend said, you know, if you put her underneath you, you sign up, put her underneath it, you at least make money as she does well. And I'm like, well, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we should totally but, profit off our children. Yeah, right. That's exactly how I got in just to profit off my kid. Exactly. So, but then you went in and it was kind of you and correct me if I'm wrong, but you went in with more of a, this will be fun. And this will just be some supplemental income and we'll play around with this. And this will be kind of good kind of mentality is what I, I gathered from, I think a bootleg video of you I saw on YouTube giving this talk. Right. But then at some point, something shifted for you to be able to, to take it, you know, to go advance as far as you did and then take a team as far as you did. So I would love to know a little bit about the, the mindset, like when you joined and then the mindset that got you to skyrocket to the top, to the top. Yeah. So when there's, there was a very short amount of time, I mean, maybe 10 days between the signing of the agreement to the choice of doing it as a business. And, um, what made that, um, you know, what, what, what was that point in my life that I made that decision was that I went to North Carolina and I met the person that I was underneath and, um, she was a Mary Kay millionaire and the women that were there were women that I, wanted them as my friends. So they were, they were quality and sharp and beautiful and fun. And they were just fantastic women. And that, because my perception of what the company was, which was based on literally nothing, I'd never used it, never been around it. I just thought it's an old lady company, but these women were dynamic and smart. And I just wanted to be a part of that. And so when I made that decision, 90 days later, I earned my first car with the company um, I debuted in a management position. And then another 90 days after that, I earned another car. So I, I did, I, I raced pretty fast after that. I really love what you said that because a lot of people join the all-in entrepreneur. I meet them when I'm speaking and I know you do too, who are in direct sales, whether it's kind of a supplement to their regular business or it is their full-time business and they're struggling. They're They're struggling with sales. And what what I, I well, and a lot of aspects of running their business. But what I love about what you just said was that it was the moment that you started looking at it as more than just income. I think that it really shifted when you saw, I actually want to be this kind of person, right? This is the person that I want to be that then boom, everything right. kind of started flowing when your perspective shifted away from, and this is how much money I would like to make. Right. Well, I think it was even, uh, I mean, if, if I'm being totally honest, it was that I wanted to be friends with those women. Um, yeah. And I felt like I needed to, you know, I'd have to work to be friends with them. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Because we, I mean, uh, really it's true, right. We tend to either be, we were like the people we hang around with. So for us to right. think we can hang around other people, we tend to think we have to be like those people in a certain way. Right. To, to be- and I also saw it at a high level. So my vision of the company was not a girl who was maybe making a hundred dollars a month on it. My vision of the company was a multimillionaire. So, you know, because I had a big vision of the company, my belief level was very high in what I could do. Yeah, that's good. And you had a, a high belief level in you and your abilities. I am, I mean, you had had a successful career. You, I think you just knew I could probably achieve whatever I said, was that true? I can achieve whatever I set my mind to. Did you, did you struggle? It's very easy to see 
the back end of like, and I went in and everything went well. And I had lots of sales and I just skyrocketed and everything was just strawberries and rainbows and unicorns for me. Or were there points where you were just kind of like, what am I doing? Or did it really just kind of flow for you? And you think it's because you just never doubted that you would succeed? Mm, I wanted to quit probably every other day. Okay. And, um, because somebody would hurt my feelings or I think the difference is I had the same amount of, well, I probably had more rejections than most people because I went higher. So therefore I had more rejection. I had more failures. I had more difficult moments. The difference is that I finally figured out when I watched all the women at the top, it's the ability to pivot quickly, to, to dust off your knees quickly and get up and go next next, next, next. I was listening to a girl the other day. She was talking about that. She was thinking about Mary Kay and I had no skin in the game telling her one way or the other because I'm not in anymore. And I said, it was life-changing for me and not just from a fine, you know, not the financial perspective, but all the things that came with it. And she said, there's so many direct sales companies. And when she said that, I thought to myself, you have to make the decision that you're going in and you're going to do well. It doesn't matter what the person next to you is doing. The other 10 people, you know, that are doing it statistically, there's not going to be that many people that are going to run. So be the one that runs and builds big. Most people sadly will fail and not get back up. That's so we're going to get to that a little. It's funny that you used the word pivot because that's a very specific question that I have for you actually a little bit later. But so before I get to the big pivot, right, that's coming, that's coming up in our story, I would imagine to go that high in the company it was demanding of your time and your energy and your attention. Did you feel like reaching that level of success impacted your life at all? Was it, were you sacrificing, sacrificing relationships with your husband or your kids? Was it hard to juggle all the things that you had to do your life and what it took to run a team that big and run a team that successfully and you know, run you as a business, you were a business, run you as a business owner. Were, what were the, the trade-offs to that? Were there any? Oh, for sure. I, I mean, I sacrificed a whole lot. Um, I stayed very steady in my, uh, my marriage and uh, life with my daughter. And then I think I sacrificed just about everything else. Everything. Um, it was, but it was, uh, you know, I love this short-term sacrifice with long-term gain. And could I have sustained the pace I was at long-term? No. Um, meaning that that final, that last year when we made that massive jump. Um, but as far as in the building years, absolutely. Um, it was just, I think sometimes people have a hard time understanding. I, I came from a, a sales background that was non-conventional. So I was used to non-conventional hours and used to working in you know, weird different ways that are not nine to fives that really throw people off. So I was kind of, I, I, I was, uh, I did not sacrifice the things that fed my soul. That's good. That is really good. Cause that is a mistake that I see. And it's not a mistake like, oh, you're making a mistake. It's a natural thing when you just kind of jump into something new and you have, you haven't been in the, in the world. I, I like what you said about being in a different kind of unconventional structure and hours already, because a lot of people do come from corporate right. traditional nine to five. And they think that they can just do that with growing their own business. Right. And yeah. So then, right. Then you did have a big moment in your life where you received a cancer diagnosis and you were still at the prime of Mary Kay then. Actually, I think I was three years in, three years into Mary Kay when I was diagnosed with uh, stage three, triple negative breast cancer. And, um, 
what was so crazy, I went through a year of treatment of chemo and radiation, all those, the mastectomy, all that. But my business increased that year. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I worked, well, first of all, the mindset changed because I changed the mindset of I get to, not I had to, um, because I was sick that the days that I felt good, I was so excited that I got to do some work. Um, I mean, it really did make me feel good and powerful. And um, I love to work a little bit during that time. And then um, I, I just, I was so tired of being tired. I was in a bed all the time. So I loved that. I was very on purpose with the small amount of time that I had. Yeah. And I, when I heard that, that your business increased for like $10,000 or something like that, at the time that you were going through the most treatment, you're the most sick, you're the most, but I also read a blog post of yours where it there, I mean, you got to a really low place in, in where you were on your journey of healing, where you kind of just wanted to, to end it. You wanted, you said, I wanted to die, Like there was yeah. a day that I wanted to die. So you were feeling that way and going through those struggles. And at the same time, simultaneously throwing yourself in your, in your business when you could and watching that girl, like how, I don't even know how to ask the question that I want to ask, which is just like, was it not even as thoughtful? It was just more like that you were able to, to do that? Was it compartmentalization? Was it like, what was it that did you put notes and reminders? Like, Hey, remember when you have a good day, this is what you want and why you want it. What kind of got you to still do that and put, cause so many people, I, I mean, for much you know, less of, of, uh, an interruption in their life, lose that focus and lose the motivation and lose the desire and the energy and the willpower and the grit to be able to show up even on the good days. So how was it that you were doing that for yourself? Well, a couple of things. One is that in the seasons that I could work hard, I did. So I had built something in that, those three years that did allow me to pull back and, you know, and fight cancer. And so that when I did come in for very short amounts of time uh, and this very on purpose short amounts of time, um, there's a book by um, Gary Keller called The One Thing. And it's, I think such it's, a good book. Oh, it's yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, focusing on the one thing um, during short amounts of time, it, it really paid off. But I will also say in the season that you're talking about where um, I had been through two different types of chemo and one of the the types of chemo had 12 rounds and I was at, I had done nine rounds and I had three more to go and I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I was so sick. By that point, my husband was wheeling me in in a wheelchair and I said, I want the last few rounds in one dose. And the doctor said, okay, but it's going to put you in the hospital. And I said, I don't care. I can handle a week in the hospital. I just can't handle knowing that there's another week coming up where I'm going to have to roll in. And that after that is when I got um, so, and I don't want to say I wanted to die. It was that I was okay. That if that was the, the thing that was going to happen, I was okay. I was so sick and so miserable that the thought of life continuing that way sounded so much worse than than going home to Jesus. It just was it was a miserable place to be. And then I asked the nurse, she came in one time and she said, I said, am I going to get out of here? And she said, I was expecting her to go. Yeah, of course you are. You know, you'll be good in a couple of days. She goes, I really don't know. And it, when she said that to me, it made me so mad that I flipped so hard and so fast. I was out of the hospital in 24 hours. 
Ah, so it's very mental. Don't tell me what I can do or can't do. Right. Okay. I got it. Yeah. No. And I mean, there are a couple of points, right? Everything from like serious to just business. There's so many points in there, guys. So many things to unpack. First of all, everybody who knows me knows that I'm always like just one thing, guys. Focus on one thing. But also the importance, and I think as a solopreneur, and I get it. I get that it can be so hard. The importance of building a business that can run without you. And that doesn't necessarily mean you need staff and employees and a big team. But I know so many people that if something happened to them tomorrow, there's no one that even knows how to log into their account and do a thing to make sure that the money gets to the place that the that people yeah. they just don't have kind of in case of an emergency. People know how to call my clients or people know how to, I can't stress the importance enough of building a bit where you can pull back or your business can run without you. I don't think that you really truly have a sustainable business if you haven't taken steps to do that. Women are very, very um, hesitant to get help. And um, when I hired, I hired women as a life assistant. And one of my uh, interviewing questions always was, is there anything that's beneath you? (laughs) So, you know, some people are like, I won't do cat litter or I won't, you know, I won't do laundry or, you know, is there anything that's beneath you? But she, that woman would help me in my life as well as in my business. And that, you know, because when you talk about sacrifice, when some, you know, if you're going to build a business, the things, one of the quickest things you can do is hire somebody to help clean your house. You can make up that income very quickly. Yes. Everybody, please just go do it right now. I talk about this all the time. That was, that was the first outsourcing that I did. What, because my husband and I were fighting all the time because I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't have the energy to clean. He didn't want to clean. None of us really, we didn't want to deal with it. And then I was, but we also were like, we can't put the money out to, to, and I was like, finally, yes, we can. I can totally make that up. And, and I did. And so that was, but then that was like the gateway drug, right? So then I was like, well, what else can I outsource and what else can I do? And then I just didn't look back and it just didn't stop. My husband says, you know, he said, I think if you could pay for every single thing in your life to be done, you would. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty yeah. much right there with you. But, but I love to focus on the things that bring me joy. Yes. So well, we're going to get to, because you are a joyologist. Joyologist. A joyologist. So we're going to get to, so, but there was another tragic thing that, ha- so it's not, you know, you know how God is and the, you know, it just, you never know and you never understand why when it's all happening, but you had just, you had come, come through that, you had healed and then your sister received uh, cancer diagnosis. And un- unfortunately her, her story doesn't, doesn't go with the same path as, as your story. So yet another thing hits you with, with your business at that point, did you have a different mindset around it? It all were you kind of like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this again. And my, my business too, and go through a loss like this, or did you feel like what you went through actually prepared you to be able to handle what was happening with your sister? Well, I'm, I'm going to add to that, but I'm also going to say, and I, I, it is with my husband's permission that I do share this and I share it in the book, but um, my husband was also an alcoholic during that season of Mary Kay. And then he's been sober several years now, but there were many years that he wasn't. One of the pivotal things that happened is, and I always thought I was a super strong, powerful woman. Um, and he was never abusive, but he was, he, when he drank, he said, 
not nice things. And I didn't think it it affected me until he did get sober and I watched how much I skyrocketed in my business because mentally some part of me was believing some of the things he would say, even though I didn't think it it would because I was, I just didn't. And, um, but it did, it made a difference. And then, um, so I want to say that, you know, whatever the, whoever's in your world, guard your, guard your heart, guard your mind. And I think that the, um, what you say about, and I wasn't really conscious of it because I think a lot of times it's happening on that deeper subconscious level because our conscious brain is like, of course I've got this. Of course everything's going to, this is all, but your 95% or whatever of your subconscious brain is just like, whatever this is, what he says is all real or what that is, is all true. And I'm going to ignore, you know, I'm stronger than the 5% that's like, I've, I've got this. Right. So, so Yeah. yeah, the people who you surround yourself with, and I was about to ask you, were there people, if your husband, you know, he was suffering from alcoholism at the time, you, your sister was sick, where did you turn to for your support? Okay. So let me give you a little timeline. My husband was sober by the time the things happened with my sister. Okay. And what also happened during that time is my mother <laughs> had a brain aneurysm that burst. And during that year that my husband was home and completely, re- you know, just building himself back up, um, my mother had a brain aneurysm. She was a CPA. She fell over on her desk and she survived it. Um, but it allowed me to have that time again, because I had worked hard for the years before that in that season to fully care for her. And then, um, that next year is when, um, I decided after she was well, I made the decision now that I can run. I felt like a racehorse that was behind the gates and the gates would never open because of things that kept happening in life. And I don't say that as an excuse because I still, I still worked at a uh, high producing level, but not the level I knew I was capable of. You know, you know that, you know, that, you know, there's something more inside of you. And I wanted to tap into that just so much. And so when that my mom was well, that next year rolled, rolled around and I had made that decision that we were going to, you know, do million that year and the middle of the year hit and our numbers were not on track. And I just thought, how do I position it to my team? You know, how do I come up with a marketing strategy that tells them uh, we're not, not only, I didn't even think we would do 650,000, much less a million. And um, I was thinking about how I was going to reposition it. And then Suddenly, unexpectedly, my sister was battling stage two breast cancer and she passed away in her sleep. And I knew when that happened that I had a choice. I had, I knew that society, people around me, every, I was allowed to go into a hole and cry for years because of what had just happened. I had permission to let go of my goals, to, to not do what I said I was going to do. I had full permission because of what had just happened. But I just thought she can either be the reason I didn't achieve something or she can be the reason I did achieve something. So I asked my parents if it was okay. And we positioned our year as her name was Kim, as um, everything was hashtag Kim's million. So everything, my story was so about her and she became um, the fuel beneath it all. But um, I knew it was a way to just continue her legacy and her name and to be able to talk about her. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, that story always, every time I, I hear it, it just, but I, I, and what I want people to understand too, is you don't, the, the, the big, the, the takeaway from there that's applicable to everyone, because not everyone is going to have a personal situation like that, that becomes the catapult or the cat, right? right? Is that there were two things, right? The first thing was Dawn had really decided that she was going to succeed right at a certain point, but then- 
you switched your perspective to what you wanted instead of what you didn't want, right? Because what you were looking at is at first, we don't have the numbers, we don't have it. And boy, how I, we're not going to get there. And how am I? And even I think without the unfortunate situation that caused the, the change, right? If you had made that shift in your mindset to how, Instead of positioning how we're not going to get there and how to communicate that, it's like, no, what are we going to do to get there? Because of course we're going to get there. And of course we can do it, right? Like the mind and a decision and a perspective is like the recipe for being unstoppable, right? Like being unstoppable. And you have to understand that the nothing changed except my mindset. So no numbers changed, nothing changed except the decision. Because we, I, I, we get in our own way every single time, every single time. So the, the unstoppable, right. You I'm like, girl, you really are the embodiment of unstoppable because people are like, did you just hear about two minutes ago, everything that happened in Don's life yeah. in rapid succession, but you didn't stop. So what does that mean to you really to be unstoppable? Okay. I, I want to back up and say that it, it will seem unstoppable and it will seem huge and um, unique or, you know, the doing things that are impossible, all those kind of things. If you surround yourself with those who don't do big things, but if you surround yourself with people that are doing big things and are growing by leaps and bounds, then that becomes the norm. Yes. So to me, my friends were heavy hitters, bold, audacious women. So this didn't seem so in fact, the thing that would seem unusual would be to not achieve it. To goal. not achieve it, right? Because right. yes, again, I I really love that. And I tell people all the time, like, the support you're talking, that kind of makes you just take it to a different level and approach your life. It, you you have to start hanging out around the people who embody what you want. If you were hanging around people doing big things and taking action and not letting them, you know, not anything stop them, of course you were going to mirror that same kind of, and that does become your norm. You're like, well, of course I just keep going because that's what right. we do, right? Like that's, it's not even yeah, a thought. I, I think one of the big mistakes women make when they surround themselves, when when they're at uh, maybe at a level two and the women they want to be around at are level eight, so to speak, is that um, they're needy. And if there's ever, you cannot be needy to those type of women because they are racehorses, you know, they are building big, but um, I knew that I wanted to be in their space and um, I put myself in their space without being needy. And I think that's really important. Yeah, very important. And so from all of this, right, you really kind of just flipped the switch with your mindset. Anyway, you flipped your entire perspective from bad stuff happens to bad stuff is a gift. I mean, that's a phrase that you've said, like bad stuff is a gift. And I do think that people have positive thinking wrong a lot of times in that they think being positive and saying it's a blessing and a gift is like, I've heard people say, I can't do that. I'm not going to pretend like everything is okay. And I want to feel sad and I want to feel mad. And positive thinking doesn't mean denying your emotions and not expressing and feeling your emotions. So how were you, how were you able to embody the mindset of bad stuff is a gift? And like, how are you able, let me phrase it as the, the now, the present, how are you able to have that mindset and still have an experience, right? How are you able to choose joy despite when you're sad and despite when you're angry, not instead of being sad, right? Or instead of being right. angry. Um, 
I think it's because I have had so many life experiences. I get to now have a track record of looking back and saying, okay, I've noticed that this happens, this happens, this happens, when I react this way, when I do this. But be clear, I cry all the stinking time. Yeah. Like I feel sorry for myself more than anyone else. I like, I, I just, I, I do. And I, I think that um, we're allowed to have pity parties. We just have to put time limits on them. And I would talk with my girlfriends and say, I'm going to call you in a couple hours. I'm in the middle of a full-on pity party that nobody is coming to. So I'm a little PO'd right now, you know, because no one's coming to my pity party. And acknowledge that you're having it, that you're allowed to have it, and get up. Oh, so good. So I I was telling somebody this the other day about the emotions. I was like, yeah, you actually can't jump right to reframing something. You can't. That's the last step. You have to first acknowledge, I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm mad. And then you have to release the emotion so that you can then reframe the thoughts around it. If you hold that emotion inside of you and pretend like, I'm not angry. I'm not sad. I'm not mad. I'm just going to be positive about this and it's all going to be fine. Like that is a disaster waiting to explode out of you in the middle of a Hallmark store when you open up a card and you see something and you either start yelling at somebody or you start crying because you did not express that emotion and acknowledge it. And and I will tell you in that million dollar stretch in that final quarter, I was so stressed. I was so, I, I couldn't see it coming together. I was working my tail off. I was exhausted. I was stressed, all of those things. So I put into practice things to relieve some of that. So it was, I, this is going to shock you, but I'm not a big exerciser. (laughs) But in that season I did. And in that season, I started doing things like, um, quietly breathing. I mean, things that were, um, relieved me of stress. I also made, uh, musical soundtracks that empowered me, um, because I needed to stay in a, a mindset of being empowered. And there was a YouTube video that I listened to over and over and over that um, talked about being a champion. You are a champion. You know, actually, he said, um, I was born a champion. I will die a champion. When I die, they will put champion on my gravestone. And, <laughs> and I just, it's, I've had other people listen to it. And they're like, Who was it? You know? Who was it? That sounded like T.D. Jakes. It's not T.D. T.D. Jakes. And it's not a well-known thing, but it's like champions too, is what it says on, uh, on YouTube. Okay. Uh, I have up. It's it's really yeah good. yeah yeah. If you send me the link, I'll put it in the show notes, yeah. and then people okay. can find it that way. Although they're gonna listen to it and they're gonna go like, uh, <laughs> in the season I was in, I had to stay so like I am a champion, I'm a beast, you know, to do what I was doing. Yes, and then after that, you know, I was a couch potato. I just I love it that the self care you really prioritized self care yeah. and said I. Really, you're the most important asset in your business. Whoever has a business, you are the most important asset. You know, before money, before time, before your, your customer. I mean, you, and so you have to be there for your business to to run. Um. Okay, so you were doing all this. Mary Kay was going well, and you quit. No, I mean, like not quit. Like not. I'm out of here. But you left Mary Kay, which would to some be like, what are you? doing right like this you're good at this this is why are you walking away from this so what happened there what went on well um in november of um the mary Kay year actually ends in june 30th and so a new year starts in july so from july to this was then november um in november i um i'm actually gonna tell you the, the a little bit more of the story. So I had um, three, four of my friends send me this 
uh, interview between T.D. Jakes, but I highly recommend watching this, by the way, T.D. Jakes and Stephen Furtick about T.D. Jakes' book called Soar. And he was interviewing him. And I can tell you the thing that stood out in my mind, um, well, I had four people send me the recording and I saw that it was like an hour and something. I'm like, that is not going to happen. Like, no way, no how am I watching an hour YouTube? And um, finally, the fourth person that sent it to me was somebody I'd love and adore. And I said, Karen, why are you sending this to me? Like, what, what is it? Is my picture on it? Why, what is the deal? She said, Dawn, I have never felt something so strong. I just feel like God's telling me to send this to you and just to kind of get him off my back, so to speak here, it's done. I've sent it there. So I watched it that day. And all I remember is, is, is CD Jake saying, sometimes the thing you would think you were created to do for the rest of your life is the thing you needed to do to do the next phase of your life. And I knew when I heard it, I thought about Mary Kay because I thought I was going to be a Mary Kay till the day I died. I go to sleep that night and I have a dream and I sound all kinds of cuckoo-cuckoo when I tell this story. I know that. I acknowledge that. But I had a dream and God said, you're going to write a book. And I said, no, I'm not. And he's going to, you're going to write a book. You're going to write a book. You're going to write a book. I said, no, I'm not. I'm not a reader. I'm not a writer. I'm not even a journaler. No. And he said, wake up, wake up, wake up, write these things down. And they were the chapters. And he said, you're going to write a book. And that's, that is literally how it happened. And so from there until I finally resigned in February, but the things that were happening that were so evident, I just felt him saying, take a leap of faith with me, take a leap. I have more for you. And I couldn't see that because here I was a great big fish in a little bitty pond. And I loved it from an ego perspective for sure. Um, but you know, take a leap of faith to do something, you know, nothing about you're not even, you know, educated in this way to do this thing. And I did. Were you terrified? Were you like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And you're like, I'm out. Were you just like sitting there going, I cannot believe that I'm doing this thing right now. And then what'd you do? You just sat there and said, okay, I'm an author now. Like you, you, the book was just like this inspired thing that kept calling at you. And then it's not like you had been planning, really planning on writing this book or anything not that you had taken any classes on how to write a book or right so you had no clue what you were doing so what did you do just like I googled get out your typewriter (laughs) no I literally googled it how do you write how do you write and and, um I had so many beautiful sweet God stories throughout the whole thing it wasn't just there was a lot it was a really hard 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 decision and I just knew that that's what he was saying take a leap of faith with me is that in and, is that in your book is this story in yeah, your book okay yeah, good yeah. all right so people can I don't yeah. want to give away all the stories yeah, yeah, yeah. in no. the book right I want you guys to go I mean this book I'm so excited for um for this but I've been wanting to read a book forever and so my quest my and I had you know 35 days 35 days got the blog I got you know I have the t-shirt like I can talk all about it but but I haven't done it, right? And for me, I'm always like, do it, do it, do it. Now I'm doing it right now. I'm actually in the middle of it. But but for you, how did you, I mean, you just Googled and just started writing and, and you let go of worry about how and just, did you surround yourself with other people who were writers were writing? Did you kind of put any kind of community around you? Because that's a new whole way of being, right? Well, as I said before, Laura Casey, who is the founder of the Power Sheets, was a friend of mine from many, many, many years ago. She was actually my personal trainer. Um, she used to live over here and she was my personal trainer. And she, um, I, again, I knew not to be needy because we hadn't talked in it very, we hadn't talked very much. And I just asked her, I said, I felt like I have this God calling to write a book. She sent me a few tips yeah. and then I didn't bug her again. That's great. She's and, our, she's on, she's going to be on my podcast after she's the next interview good, after good. you. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. And, um, but another, you know, another 
thing that happened is that basically God put a woman named Sherry Shallard in my life and she's an editor and Sherry worked with me all the way through. And again, when she first started editing, I thought you are on crack and you're drunk and you don't know what you're doing, lady. You know, Sherry, you've been editing for 20 years and made your books, but no, no, no. Mine is a God calling. (laughs) So, um, but I worked with her all the way through and I, I realized that there is no certain way to write a book. I think you just have to get it out of your head. And the more you get out of your head, the more you will see it come together. What I envisioned um, and thought that would the book would be, even what I presented as the, what the book would be, has been tweaked since then. Is the content still the same? Yes. But it, that, you know, it did, it did change. Yeah. And that's a, you've been open to pivot. So we're, and we, we've talked about that. And again, I'm still, I'm looking at it. That question is coming up right back. So you also, besides being an author, you're, you're a speaker, you're a coach, you do work with other women and other women in business to help them succeed in their life or in their business. And one thing I love is you really stress, I help women to be uncomfortable. Like I help women do the uncomfortable things that need, and you know me, that's like a word, that's like my language. And so I'm like, oh yes. So how do you do that though? How do you, because everybody knows what I have to say about it, but how, how do you do the uncomfortable for you? And how do you then help other people do the same when, when they're not you, they haven't had the experiences like you, they haven't been like, so there are two aspects, but you're still going through really uncomfortable stuff. You have to move through that discomfort. How do you do that? And how do you help other people do the same? Um, <laughs> you know what I've realized about myself? I do really well under pressure. So if you give me a month to do something, it doesn't get done. If you give me three hours to do it, it gets done in one heck of a bang up way. <laughs> Not saying that's a healthy way of doing things. I'm just saying I have learned in all these years, I function really well under pressure. And um, oh my gosh, I could say a million. Yeah, I know. It's, a, it's like another whole book, right? I just, that is a whole, you know, with, being in direct sales, I, I worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women. I will tell you one thing that I know for sure that we don't believe in ourselves enough and nor are we told that we're good often enough. And if we don't learn how to lift our own selves up, I mean, that, you know, that whole, that self-talk, that belief in oneself has to, you just, it, you have to practice it. You have to find ways that fill your cup continually and being careful. You know, I I say it again and again, guard your heart and guard your mind, whether that be from, be careful the the music you listen to make sure that music puts you in a great mood not a sad mood and make you know just uh, it's the silliest things but it's also the biggest things yeah so it it's really true and i that's why i've always loved every every time we talk or because you have that mentality that way of thinking about things uh so you guys I, we're gonna talk we're gonna put in the show notes and at the end how you can follow don and how you can find out more because she's got so many great resources, right? You don't have to wait for the book. There's so many other things that she does and she has out there. And I highly suggest you know, following her and finding her so that you can absorb all of the content that she's put out there. Now I'm going to ask this of uh, Lara too on hers, but so faith is a very important thing for you. It's an important thing for me. It's an important thing for her. It may not necessarily be, and I know it's not uh, an important thing to a lot of the people who listen to my podcast or who are in the all-in entrepreneur, although for a good number there are, but that is also unconventional to lead very openly 
with your your faith, right? And to let that help you guide your decisions. That is, I, I wish it was not unconventional, but but it is. And I'm this is not like I, I'm going to go into. This is going to be a lot for Lara when I talk to her. But my question for you is how you are like a goal getter. You do have like things you want to do and accomplish. How do you surrender to God and be present and hear him and like hear his things and, and follow it and pivot while you still have a vision and there's still something you want to achieve and you have goals, right? So the pivots and the goals, how do you reconcile them? How do you let go of the control and the way that the path you cut? Because you you are vision-driven. You have goals. You have a path. You're like, okay, I'm going to sit out this way. And then God is like, write a book. And you're like, ah. So how do you both be a high performer, high achiever, goal getter, and say, but I'm also pausing and I'm going to listen to God and I'm going to let go of, of control. And I'm open to pivots because I think that regardless of whether you are fully in a religious faith or not, I think that is such an important key to a, a mindset to be in. Well, I, I, first of all, when I started Mary Kay, I've always, I was raised Catholic or I call it Catholic light. Um, so when I started in Mary Kay, I thought they were all cuckoo kachoo, you know, like they were just, I was smarter and, you know, I, you know, more, I don't, it was hilarious. Um, my very humble ego. And, um, in the beginning on our Monday calls, the, um, woman who was, you know, above all of us, these Monday morning calls, she would talk and she had so much scripture in her talk. And all I could think was shut up with the scripture lady and just give me strategy, like enough with that. And now I don't know how to teach without the two being so intertwined because it played such a massive part for me. Um, you know, during that, in that final quarter, that super high stress million dollar year, um, we were in the last six weeks and my best friend who was also in Mary Kay lived a few miles down the street from me. And she was also a million dollar producer. She, um, I went over to her house and I said, I called her and I, I said, it's falling apart. And she said, come over. So I, I go over there and we're sitting on her bed, both of us, you know, with our legs crossed, holding each other's hands. And I am crying, like just, it's not going to happen. I said, Callie, I've run every single um, strategy. I've looked at the spreadsheets. It is not there. It is not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And she looked at me, she goes, oh, good. And I was like, I'm going <laughs> to take you out. You know, I'm going to punch you. And she said, because now God gets the glory. When you can surrender this peace to him, this is when it glorifies him. Because if you knew how it's going to happen, then it didn't happen in faith. Now, does that mean that I quit working? Absolutely not. I worked all out so that he could bless what I had done. Um, I think that God can move mountains, but don't be surprised when he throws you the shovel. You have to do the work for him to bless the work. And I think sometimes women get in business going, well, if Jesus wants me doing this, yeah. then he'll just make it happen. He'll just no. rain it all down on my life. No, absolutely no. not. Right? There's an African proverb. You have to walk while you pray. You can't just yes. pray. Oh, I love that. Right. You have to walk while you pray. And then another quote that I love is, and this is a quote by, I don't know who it is. I mean, I think if you Googled it, 18 million people probably have. So I don't really know who it's by, but faith isn't faith until it looks like it won't work out right? Like until then it's belief. It's not faith, right? Faith is, it does not look like it's going to work out, but I, it's going to work out. I I can't tell you why, right? That is faith. And I think that's so so important. By the time the book stuff came about, I'd had enough um, life lessons with God that I finally knew how to listen a little bit more. Had that happened 15 years ago, 
I would have, you know, ignored everything. But I, my faith had grown. I'd grown um, just as a woman and I knew to listen a little bit more. But I can tell you that in the situation I am right now, I have no, I have this massive, I am determined that this book will be a bestseller. I don't know how that will happen. Yes. I don't know how to do it. I just, it will be. Oh, and, yeah. Everybody, like I know people who know me really well are like, oh my gosh, did Rita give her that script? No, I did not. Right? But I always, I, I do don't not. know. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I'm a hundred percent certain that it'll happen. Yep. But yep. my job is to show up as a match for that result, right? So yeah. if I want this kind of result way up here, I have to show up as a match for that result by doing the kinds of things that a person would do that could get that result. I can't get that result if, like we said, I'm not walking while I'm praying, right? But it's like, I don't know when or how. It'll, but it's going to happen a hundred percent certain, right? So I yeah, you that. have to make the decision. The decision oh, comes first. Always. The decision has to come first. And, and, you know, I went before the people, um, at my publisher and I was talking to them and I said, so w- what would you guys be happy with? Like, what, what's your number that you're like, okay, she's worth investing in again. Um, and they said a hundred thousand books, about a hundred thousand we'd be pleased with. And I thought to myself, I would die if I only sold a hundred thousand books. And I said that back to them. I said 400,000 minimum, but my stretch goal is a million books that first year. And they kind of did that. And I was like, what? So my, my, not that they were, they're wonderful. I love them. But the thing is you cannot, um, what is that? You can't share an eight by 10 dream with a three by five person and and not that they're three by five people, but yeah, they just have a different, there's a different um, view that they're looking at a different. Yeah, exactly. So if all the people around you do not think it can happen, then that's okay. If you believe that you can do it, then you have to, you cannot go by what, what the, the people around you, just like when somebody would come into Mary Kay and they said they wanted to talk to all their family about it. Why would you talk to people who have never done this kind of business about, how you should succeed. Oh, that's another whole, (laughs) don't get me going going on that. All right. So, so let's, um, so like we're getting right, like to my favorite, I mean, not that this all hasn't been great, but to my favorite part of my interview, which is the end, not because it's ending, but because of the questions (laughs) that I asked. But so uh, real quickly though, now you are authoring writing. That's a very solo internal activity. You're living on this beautiful, but remote Farm. It's a slower paced life, I imagine, than the Mary Kay. And even with like all the coaching that you were doing and all of the speed, like right now, there's just, it's like a season where it appears to be more writing heavy than anything else. So, like, how are you a very extroverted, community driven, you know, get energy from people leading the teams? Like, how are you doing being like in your head, writing and being in this kind of like remote? area and not dealing with a team of people every day and not, are, are you, do you love it? This slower pace? Do you, is it not slower pace? Like, tell me a little bit about that. One of the most difficult transitions I have ever made in my life. I could see that for you. It was hard as I'll get out. I was depressed after I left Mary Kay. Um, I, what was difficult was that my life was around, um, attaining a goal every 30 days. So, you know, we hit, we hit monthly numbers in addition to an annual number. So I didn't have that anymore. It was completely different. And my best friends still to this day are most of them are in Mary Kay. And so their lives are just so different. I also didn't have anyone to talk to about the book. That was really hard. And I don't mean, I mean, the frustrations of not understanding industry, how it all went, 
all of it. I just didn't. I became um, through Laura Casey. I actually became friends with Emily Lay, and she was she was a, a good person to 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 talk to, to understand some of the things. But again, Laura's journey and Emily's journey were very different because they were product driven businesses. And then writing as a supplement to that, whereas mine was all the book and it's everything I was doing. My whole life was the book and, um, I gained lots of weight. I, I just, it was not my prettiest season. And I'm just now, I think coming into, uh, the pace that I do really well at, and I'm, the happiest I probably have ever been, but it took work and it took taking Lexapro for a little bit. It took um, being proactive to be, um, you know, sometimes women will leave their businesses or they'll, they'll have a transition in life and they'll go, well, I just don't even hear from my friends anymore. And, and I think to myself, but did you reach out? Did you call them? Yeah. So, Did you? so true. Right? So, what, is, um, what is your I role mean, in that? Right. Yeah. I was very on purpose with making sure that I maintained the relationships that I had. Yeah, that's and so true. that felt good too. So you are um, still like you're you're still prioritizing again those things that that bring you joy. What I love too is like I think some people think well once successful like I need to stay successful otherwise I have failed right. And you're like no I just went through like a really crappy transition phase no, right not- and like look I'm still fine I came out great like it's great I'm the happiest I've ever been like it's okay to get messy it's okay I can say that now right yeah but what you yeah. Just said was you know that when you have that high achievement mentality and you're going into something where there is no bar for success, then I did feel like a failure. You feel like a failure, right? And so, but, but like connecting the dots backwards is always easier. But what I love is you still have support in your, whether it's your friends or your church community or whatever, who can kind of hold that space for you and say, uh, uh-uh. like you're not like I, I get it but like also you're gonna come out of it right you're gonna you're gonna you you are you you're gonna be fine I think if you hadn't had any support right at all like any you hadn't you prioritized friend friends it'll say like dude you got a shower yeah you know like right. you gotta have one of those yeah like and you need to have that person you. Like you, you got to get some highlights in that hair. You got to shower, like do something, do anything. I can't hang out with you anymore. Right. Um, okay. So just what would you want to say to women out there who are doing something big, whether it's building a business or trying, maybe moving across the country or thinking about getting out of a relationship. So, So a woman who might wants to do something, but is terrified to do it or feels like other demands are keeping her from doing it. Or maybe she's going through a season where she just feels like it's impossible. She's never going to be able to, to those women. What do you want to say? Jump. Uh, That's my first thing is jump. Just do the thing you, I think we wait until we have it all figured out. I didn't have writing a book figured out. You have to take the leap and then you figure it out with each step. That's the difference between those who, uh, honestly, in, in buying this property, it was it was expensive. And we alone, um, I didn't know how we were going to do it, but I knew that I wanted to bring my parents next door, my mother-in-law in this house. I wanted to have horses for our daughter. I did not know how we would do it. I was, we were down to, you know, four days before closing and me wondering if we're going to be able to close. And I think people even look at this property and think, oh, they're so rich. And are we blessed? Absolutely. But am I still looking going, holy crap, how are we paying the mortgage? Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And I, so I, and I know that people who would go back to my episode, Paul Brunson, who I interviewed first said the same thing. I mean, Oprah found him because of a YouTube television show 
that he created that only 11 people watched and Oprah was one of them, right? So if you haven't heard, you need to go back to episode two and three. It's really good. And he became a co-host with Oprah, but he said the same, like, I didn't know how to do a YouTube show. I didn't know how to do any of that. I figured it out and everything he's done, he's figured it out as he went along and the same, build the plane while it's flying, right? Like that same thing with my second interview, Rachel Albers, who you you two need to, like, if I, if I could just sit both of you in a room one day and just listen to you talk to each other, I don't think I'd be able to stop laughing the whole day, but same thing. She's like, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I just kind of like figured it out. She does a one woman. She combines, um, digital uh, or she combines stand-up comedy with digital marketing and oh, it's a riot yeah that. it's a riot she does a one-woman show called awkward marketing it's really great so anyway everybody on the listen to the previous interview oh, right on episode yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh five for that but um i just i love all of that just do it like i know it, it sounds so easy but like put the support in place that will help hold like you as you do and you don't have to do all of it you just have to start it and 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 I'm even, I'm even going to say, even if you don't have the support in place, just do it. Yeah. Just do it. We'll figure it we'll out. Figure it out. Maybe that's the first thing you do, or maybe you'll yeah. just, but it's like, if you're going to write a book, just write the first sentence. Like you don't yeah. have to do it all. Right. I think people well, are like, about writing yeah. a book and I'm like, just write something down. Yeah. <laughs> just say anything. Just start writing. <laughs> just write. you know, There's some big program or this or there's that. There's not. No. Just write. Yeah. Just write. And now I get to the part where I do rapid fire questions. So this is uh, like no I thinking, don't... no whatever. It's not hard. Just like boom, boom, boom. Okay. So my all first right, question right. for you is what is on your podcast playlist? I'm not. <laughs> They're going to make me do a show. <laughs> Ah, no. yours, I, you know, yours is, yeah, no, I am not a huge podcast listener. Okay. And that was because I didn't have a lot of time in my day. So I, my, my car ride was short. My, I didn't, you know, I was, I was like, how are people listening to podcasts? Where is this happening? <laughs> and then I moved out here and now we have a long drive. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we've been listening to Malcolm Gladwell, we, things with my daughter to, to listen to. I also love Craig Rochelle, he does a leadership podcast and it just, I love it. Um, but I also listen to some biblical ones as well. So yeah. What books are on your nightstand? <laughs> I made the mistake with one guest with asking what was on their nightstand. So I have to say oh, what no, no, books no. are on your nightstand? Um, well, I'm actually, because we are actually doing this via Zoom and we can see each other. So I'm tilting. I'm no doing books. this on my bed. No books. And, and there are, you will see there are 50 million bottles of water and there are no books. And that is because I'm not a big reader. <laughs> now, um, I understand that I wrote a book. But I do, in in the intro of the book, it talks about that I am not a big reader. I'm actually super ADD and it's difficult for me. So I have to take medication to really sit down and focus. So I have read, you know, I do about three, three, four chapters in a book and I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. Okay, I get it. I get but that. I, I get it. I, Got yeah. Enough. And I, I don't do a lot of, um, I don't read for pleasure. I'm usually, if I am reading, it's generally for business. I'll have to get you the knee. I forget it. I, I totally forget it now, but there's a company that will literally just, it's almost like cliff notes for like personal growth and development books yeah. where they will just boom summarize the thing and be like, there you go. There are your important points and takeaways. And I do do a lot of audiobooks, So yeah, that's good. Too. That's like yeah. a podcast. That's like a podcast, right? Like, yeah. yeah. While you're washing the dishes, while you're, you know, taking a shower or whatever. I like that. So what is, but I also get bored too. And I do want to say yeah. that, that I think so many times women think that, um, I always thought I was failing because I wasn't as studious as maybe some other entrepreneurial women were girl, do your thing. Like if you only three chapters, do it. Yep. If you're like no chapters, just whatever, 
makes you run, run. There's no no right way of living right. life, right? There's yeah. no right way. Um, what's a life motto you have right now? Is there a motto that you're you're telling yourself an affirmation, a motto, or anything right now that's just like in your heart? Well, I'm going to tell you that one that really popped in my head, which is probably not at all that's going to, um, I am in a season where I'm caring for my mother-in-law and I am a, not a natural born caregiver. And so the scripture, what you do for the least of these, you do for me, um, that I say that a lot. And I also, the other thing was I'm driving so much further for Ella to go to school now and I just, I get to, I get to, I get to, I get to care for her. I get to take Ella to school. I get to do this. So I get to, and then that other scripture is, that's, that's that's yeah, that's keeping so going. what's bringing you joy right now? Oh, my my whole life. So with those things being said, so those are the things that are maybe the more difficult pieces of my life. But um, I would have never thought that getting up in the mornings and um, I actually put a bra on, which is, you know, there's a lot of days, of, you know, that I didn't <laughs> ever used to in that season. And I go out because I, I think the horses probably appreciate me more with a bra on. And I go feed the horses and I clean out some stalls. And I, it, it, there is something about being in nature and this quiet, just peacefulness, um, especially for a girl that goes stir crazy. I, I thought I am enjoying this season. So sitting on the back porch, sitting in a hammock, sitting on my front porch in the swing, all of those things and just breathing. That is right now. My parents are next door. I love um, being with them. And they, had you asked me 15 years ago, I'd have been like, oh, hell to <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but, you know, I just, because I've had so many things happen in my life that I realized this is a gift in this season. And I'm soaking up. I feel like my life is a big bowl of like heavy whipping cream and I get to just jump in it. And it's just soft and yummy and fluffy. And that's what I feel like my life is right now. And I know it's going to change once the tour starts and all that stuff, but yeah, but no, but that's it, right? You're just in that place right now. I love that. Um, So let's talk about just the book real quickly. So joyologist, you are a joyologist. What does that mean to you first? What is being a joy? What is that? Well, I'll tell you how it came about as I was telling uh, one of my girlfriends that I was going to uh, leave Mary Kay. And I said, I don't, I don't even know what I'm going to do. And I'm going to write this book about joy. And she goes, well, you're a joyologist. And I was like, what? And she goes, you are, you're literally somebody who spreads joy through um, work, through um, at home, just you finding joy in your life, whether it be through uh, with entrepreneurial women or whatever, just spreading, not necessarily, I don't even like the thing of spreading joy but helping women to pivot in thinking and understanding that there is joy in every single piece. Yeah. I love that too. And sometimes you do, I mean, like I know when I'm having a whatever day, I, lo- I look for your Insta stories because I'm like, I will laugh. There's not something this girl's going to say that's going to make me laugh. If I just watched on, then I'll laugh and I'll chuckle and I'll feel better and I'll be able to move on because you just have joy in everything you do. And that brings that lightheartedness that I think it makes life fun, right? It just makes life fun no matter what what you're doing. I love that about I you. I don't find joy in social media and doing social media. You don't? To be honest with you. That's my biggest struggle. Wow. Yeah. Well, you're really good at it. You're really, see, Thank you're really you. good at it. The, the Insta stories are, uh, I mean, the stories are Insta stories. That's an Instacart and an Instagram uh, combination there. The stories are easy for me. The planning out of a feed ah, is difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of the same. Um, all right. So the book, what's in the book, like, what is the book about? Tell us about it. How can people find out about it? And of course we're going to put a link to it in the show notes, but is it on sale right now? Tell us a little bit about the book. 
Laughing Through the Ugly Cry, um, published by Thomas Nelson. Well, when I wrote the book, it um, the pub, the editor, the first one I started working with, she said, so is it like one fluid story or is it a collection of essays? And I said, is that a thing? Like you can do that? And she said, yeah. And I said, oh, that's what it is. So it is a collection of essays that through this life of... Um, you know, hardships and uh, tragedies, but it's the funny stories that happen through it and finding, you know, little tales of just finding joy through, um, you know, things that are really de- devastating. So it, it, it is a book that I wanted to put out there to make people laugh and it will also make you cry probably. And, um, I think that after any woman reads it, she's going to walk away a lighter, happier, deeper person. I believe that's my prayer. That's how people walk away when they meet you. That's how people walk away after they, after they meet you. Um, and I hope when the book is out in in April, that you'll come back and be on the show after people have the book, or maybe I will come down to the farm because apparently there's, there's a lot of sitting or the estate, the dynasty estate that there's a lot of sitting. And I like, I like that activity. So I will come sit with you and maybe we'll have like a little round table discussion with some other girls about, about the things that are in the book. Once everybody knows what they are, I think that would be a lot of the book is is up on Amazon now, but don't order it. I know that sounds really crazy, but um, I didn't even know it was on Amazon, but it is up on Amazon. But my publisher said, please wait until 30 days out to push it because Amazon bases their orders on what happens 30 days before. Did you uh, know that? No, gotcha. So guys, do not buy the, just find it, bookmark it. I will tell you when it's time to go buy the yeah. book, right? In 2020, yeah. you will hear, you will know. Where can people follow you though so they, they can keep up with you? Where's the best place for them to connect with My you? My favorite place for people to follow is Instagram and the stories. I would hands down and it's Dawn R. Barton on Instagram, but it's also Dawn R. Barton, facebook.com slash Dawn R. Barton. And then my website is dawnbarton.com. Great. And we'll put all of the links to all of the things we talked about in the show notes today so you guys can watch and find them and and find on for yourself so don thank you so much for being here today i had a great time talking with you i did too this was fun thank you so much so don i have to ask i want to know tell me the updates what has happened for you since the book has been published tell me like what has gone on what has resulted for you what are some lessons that you've learned i can't wait to hear Well, the book came out on May 26th, and it was exciting and fun, and it hit the number one bestseller and number one new release and all of that. Those accolades were fantastic, of course, (laughs) but I honestly will tell you the greatest piece of it has been the letters that I'm getting from people, the emails, the messages, the DMs. It's just that part is, that is humbling and um, has brought me to tears just about how it's giving them different perspective on joy and people that are in the throes of things or who have been. That piece has been unbelievable, so unbelievable. And I've also really learned that if you're called to something, it's just, especially a book, it isn't just for that release date. You're called to say that message over and over. So I'm realizing that the marketing, the putting the word out, the me getting out there, it's not just all based on a release date. Although it was pretty stinking exciting to finally have it out. It has been exciting um, to see it in stores and to have signings. That is wonderful. But I know that if you're called to do something, it's not just for one date or one thing. It has been more rewarding probably than I could have ever imagined, ever in a million years. I'm loving the journey. All right. And everybody, I will talk to you next week on the Read and Mimi Do It Show. 
Hey, before you go, thank you for listening to my show. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a review. It'll only take you a second, but it will help other people discover the Read a Mimi Do It show. And my goal is to share this business boosting and life changing content with as many people as possible. In fact, because I value your time so much, every month one reviewer will win a free coaching call with me. So if you want to get laser focused and go all in on the results that you most want in your business, then leave a review now. And then head on over to readamamedoit.com where you can find the show notes from today's episode.